the Podfix Network. Hello and welcome to our 200th episode of the Filmmakers Podcast. This is going to blast them to hell. Samuel, what are you doing? My name's Mickey. Mickey Smith. Defending the earth. Yes, it's 2021. Happy New Year. May all your troubles last as long as your New Year's resolutions. Oh, this is the Filmmakers Podcast, a podcast where we talk filmmaking, from indie film to studio films and everything in between. How to get them made, how to make them, and how to try not to F it up, in our very, very humble opinion. As it's our 200th episode... We have a very, very special guest for you wonderful, wonderful listeners. It is the amazing writer, director, producer and actor, Noel Clark. Oh, yes. Uh, I'm over the moon uh, to get him on our podcast and for our 200th episode. So, on this episode, Noel tells us how he learnt to write scripts, how he writes his scripts now, how he didn't intend to become a director and why he wasn't embraced by the industry after kid adulthood. He talks about getting scripts to production companies and how you can too, how you can get an agent as a screenwriter, and how a famous hairdressing and coffee brand saved the day when kid adulthood nearly fell apart. He talks about dealing with fame and success and being a black filmmaker. He also talks about why you have to fight as a filmmaker, working with J.J. Abrams, and what he learned from other directors. Plus, why he made Brotherhood and how Bulletproof got pushed over the line. He also gives you some amazing advice. So myself and the fantastic Ian Sharp, who's an actor and producer in his own right, dive deep into Noel's journey as a filmmaker and how he makes his films. I am Giles Alderson, if you don't know, I didn't say that. But anyway, today's guest, Noel Clark. His career started off when he was cast in Alfreda Zane Pet, and from there he starred in Doctor Who. Then he wrote and starred in Kiddlehood in 2006, and then in 2008 he made the sequel Adulthood, which he produced, starred in, wrote and directed. Not long after that, he won the BAFTA Rising Star Award. Around that time, he set up the film company Unstoppable with the brilliant Jason Mazza, and between them. They made Adulthood, which Noel wrote, directed and starred in The Knot, which Noel starred, produced and wrote in 4321, which Noel directed, produced, wrote and starred in Storage 24, uh, The Hooligan Factory, The Anomaly, which Noel directed, We Are Monster, Legacy, Scottish Muscle, um, 10 by 10 The Fight, Twist, which is coming out on Sky Movies, Sky TV, literally this week or next week, and Brotherhood, which is his threequel, his third in the trilogy, Kiddlehood, and then Adulthood, and then Brotherhood. Um, and of course, we cannot forget the amazing TV series, Bulletproof, which Noel created and stars in with Ashley Walters. The brand new series, Bulletproof South Africa, is out on January the 20th. That's literally a couple of weeks away from today, maybe a week and a half. And not only that, but Noel has also starred in the movies Doghouse, Sex and Drugs and Rock and Roll, Centurion, Huge, Screwed, Fast Girls, which he also wrote, Star Trek Into Darkness, I Am a Soldier, I Kill Giants, Mute, All Right Now, and Fisherman's Friends, just to name a few. I can't believe it's our 200th. 
That's three and a half years I've been doing this. Oh my gosh. We've had so many incredible guests over this three and a half years. Too many to count. Well, yeah, you can. There's 200 of them. But some of our guests have been incredible. We've talked about film financing, how you can do that. We've talked about sales and distribution and screenwriting. Basically, everything you need to make a feature film has been on this podcast. It's there for you. We have so many apps with filmmakers and creators and actors. Uh, 199. <laughs> other ones apart from this in fact so do check them out and if you do like the acting ones then why not listen to some of our episodes with the amazing timothy spore or scott adkins dominic monaghan julie delpy and of course mark strong just to name a few so do go back do go find them go to our website thefilmmakerspodcast.com go to the search bar and type in the name and it will come up for you or wherever you get your podcasts there you go it's a minefield of info on there go learn so without further ado, let's get to today's episode with myself, Giles Alderson, the amazing Ian Sharp, and the absolutely fantastic Noel Clark. Enjoy. I know you, man. You sure? Yeah, yeah, yeah. All right, let's do this. Hey, mate. How are you, buddy? You all right? Um, How you doing, mama? I saw you in the gym, mate. Early doors, mate. Early doors. Yeah, yeah, 100%. 100%. Is that important? Is, do you like to go in the gym early? Is that your thing? Yeah, I, I yeah, I have to go early. I can't go. I have to go early for me. For me, it has to be early because I feel like the type of person I am. Yeah. If I'm going in the day or in the evening, then I'm not doing work. Like it's unproductive. Yeah. Yeah. I'm missing yeah. stuff. If you're if you're training at three, two after, like you're missing stuff that is valuable in business hours. So the only thing I can really justify is late in the evening. Yeah. which I still don't like either because I like to relax. So therefore, early in the morning before people really start doing whatever it is they do. Yeah, no, you're right. I like that. How Cheers, did, how did you two you. meet anyway? We met through Jason. Yeah. Right, okay. We met through Jason. Like I had always had my eye on... Uh, oh, I actually, we can't talk about that, to be fair. That's just, you know... I know yeah, I mean, obviously, I've been aware of Noel for, for years, you know. And uh, I mean, we've never actually really probably spoke about it but i got my one of my breaks from a guy called ricky beadle blair who i think i mentioned on when i was interviewed he, he was the one that told me i should produce something and no i think was it your first professional job working with ricky on metrosexuality yeah, he, he, he got me started ricky got me started absolutely a hundred completely totally got me started have we started officially? Have we started? Now? Yeah, yeah, man. Yeah, this is. I like. I like to just roll with it. No, we oh, saw okay. That. I'm just. Check- I was only checking because I know the beginning part. We can't really talk about. So I didn't know when we organically. I'll, I didn't I'll, know when we organically. Started. Yeah, because I'll edit round bits and stuff that I go. We probably should <laughs> yeah, say that. So anything we say, you, you just should go. keep this bit in when I go. Have we started? Have we yet? started? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's one of the reasons I wanted to get you on, Noel, as well, because yeah. you've been on my in my world and on my radar as someone who is a go-getter someone who has from the very beginning of knowing you from Alfreda Zane Pet to Doctor Who yeah. who was always making stuff you were the, yeah. the voice in the news as like this creative new filmmaker who was doing it by himself and well with your team but your name was around all the time for me as yeah. a when I was a young filmmaker young actor and that was amazing so for getting you on this show, especially for our two hundredth episode, is amazing. So thank you very much. No, thank for, you so for much. For, thank you so much for having me. It's thank a pleasure. You, so much for See, me. you are a massive inspiration for so many filmmakers. Cheers. You really I are. mean, like what I think what people don't realise is, you know, it, it, it's always nice to, to hear hear this stuff. Sorry, I got kids running about. It's all right. It's yeah, always man. nice to, to hear this stuff. Yeah. But I think what people don't realise is, is like, you know, it, it came from necessity. 
you know, I, I never intended, you know, and I never intended to, I always wrote anyway, but I didn't intend to become a writer. I didn't intend to become a director. I didn't intend to become a producer. And I, I actually, you know, Ian will tell you, like, I, I don't like producing at all, which is what Jason's for. You know, that that's why, you know, a, a team, I've teamed up with the most beautiful man. We've been together for a long time in terms of our, our company. And he's very good at it. He's good at numbers. He's good at all of that kind of stuff. You know, things that will take him two days will take me like four weeks. And so I can do it, but I don't like to do it. And I'm not really interested in it necessarily. The creative side of it, you know, when I was doing stuff like 4321, yeah. I was doing it, you know, but it's just, I can't, I'm, I'm terrible at maths. I'm terrible at a lot of other stuff. Stuff I don't like, as, as Ian will tell you, I don't like filling in forms. <laughs> do, do you know what I mean? So, so, so he doesn't. He doesn't. So, <laughs> yeah. so, so, like it just takes me forever. And obviously, doing all the acting and stuff like that, it's just not conducive to having any one career be successful. That you, you know, because producing takes up so much time. So you know, luckily I met someone brilliant like Jay. Um, but all these things came from necessity because you know, essentially. Essentially, if I just acted like I wanted, I would be homeless right now. Mm. You know, not just because, you know, some people will say, well, maybe you're not talented enough. Maybe. But, you know, the, the truth of the matter is looking the way I do and not being able to take this off has had has had in the past uh, a lot of disadvantages, you know. And so when I realized I wasn't getting acting roles, I had to write. And, you know, when after the first film came out and I wrote a bunch of other stuff and no directors wanted to direct him. I had to direct. And then I got completely robbed and these producers took all the money from a certain film and then I had to learn to produce. Like, do you know what I mean? It's, mm. it's all been necessity. Yeah, I find that fascinating because it's the same as me and Ian. It's the same thing we've done. Is we're both actors, yeah. Ian still is, and it was that, how am I going to keep getting work for myself? This is tough. It's, again, not as tough as you had it, but we were still like, well, I want to create well, work. Well, maybe it's, you might have had it as tough. I can't really compare. I, I mm. mean, the, the only difference is, is that. Do, do you know That's what I mean? That's what I mean, but, yeah. But mm. taking that away, you may have had it as tough in terms of the other stuff. You know, this is just an added unfortunate bonus prize. Bo- booby prize, I think they're called. <laughs> you know I, mean? <laughs> I mean, I'm proud of it. It's not a booby of prize course. in that regard. And we are talking about skin colour. Just so people no, don't Clark know. Hates being black now. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but but do you, but do you know what I mean? Like yeah. in terms of the business and how people treated me, definitely. You know. See, yeah. that is interesting. Did you find that very, at the very beginning then that it was just white men mainly in a room who was stopping you make things or stopping you get work? Did you feel that one hundred percent, one hundred percent? On the acting side, it was both men and women, but in 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 the business. You know, just, you know, actually not just men, actually, women as well. Like, you know, it really, you know, there's one big distributor who shall remain nameless, um, who turned down Kid in 2002, I think, or three, when we were trying to set it up. We went in, met met her, talked about how much kids do, don't really behave like this and could we change the swearing, you know, could fuck be fudge and mm-hmm. would, you know, her children don't behave like this, that, and the other. And I was like, well, I'm quite outspoken. And even then I was like, I've never really changed in that regard. I was like, well, you know, kids do behave like that. And I'm like, you, you don't know what your kids are up to. That is, is the truth of the matter. Mm-hmm. That woman, that woman made sure, and I, it's not me being paranoid. That woman, well, firstly, when Kid Otter was made, never 
once it was actually made, was like, no, we're not putting it out. You know, but everybody said no, so you know that's fine. Uh, when it came out, as I said, that woman made sure I was never seen by that company again, like until she left. And I'm talking like, I'm talking like 15 years before she left and went off to do something else. And then they had a meeting with me, and they were like, "Well, we don't really know why you haven't been in." You know, and they're they're, they're a really highbrow, powerful distributor and production house that could change careers. Like if 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 they had embraced me after kidhood or adulthood, like I could, you know, you could be winning Oscars by now because they're that sort of place. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Um, I find that she, fascinating. She made sure I never got I never got in the door again. That's infuriating. I, I mean, obviously you felt at the time discriminated, but looking back now, do you sort of, do you, is there anything you could have done differently? Is there anything you could have done as a filmmaker or, you know, not you succeed? Supposed- I mean, it, I didn't yeah. feel discriminated straight away. It took me a while to figure out what was happening because mm-hmm. you just feel like, well, you've done that. And then your other one, you know, you, you throw out a few more scripts. People say no, they say no. Then your other one gets made. You you win a BAFTA. Mm. You, you know, basically, I was Ratman and Michael Ward rolled into one. Yeah, you, you got Michael Ward winning Rising Star, brilliant actor. I mean, I'm not calling myself a brilliant actor, but you know, young, good looking at yep. the time. Ratman, the director, like both of those guys, really successful now. Really proud of both of them. I don't know them too well, but really proud of both of them. But you know, twelve what was it? Two thousand nine. Twelve years ago, I was that rolled into one. You were, you know, yeah. So then. You know, then you think that company would go, oh, actually, yeah, you know, nothing. And then I started to realize more and more, the more I kept progressing and more I said, like, well, how come these people aren't seeing me? My agent was like, I, I don't know. Da, 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 da. And I don't think he or she did know. I started to realize, okay, they're not seeing me because of the success of the first film or or, or whatever. And li- I literally, almost to the de- like a month after she left that place, I was in the door for something. That's mm. incredible. And, and obviously, Kiddlehood was, you know, that film we're talking about where you played Sam and you wrote it and you got yeah. it done. And then after what you're talking about, the issues and the situation, you then set up Unstoppable with Jason Mazza to then make uh, adulthood. Was was that, was like you said, you did it out of necessity, but thankfully yeah. you met someone like Jason who does like doing paperwork by the sounds of it more than you anyway. <laughs> I don't know if he likes it. He's good at it. <laughs> but he, do, he has to. And, and it's a necessary not. evil, man. Like yeah. not, none of us set out to yeah. fill out forms or, no. or you know, the, the back office stuff. But if you, if you want a successful yeah. business, mm. I mean, what, what Noel touched upon was you've got to know your strengths and weaknesses. And, and like when I'm working with Noel, I know I want him focused on the creative. That's where he comes alive. Yeah. So it'd be stupid for me to go, Oh, can you, by the way, uh, I, I get it. And I'm, it's a work and learning relationship, but he's like, I don't do that. I'm like, okay, yeah. I, I, it's my job to make sure yeah. that you, you concentrate what you need to do and I'll do what I, that. That's yeah. all. I mean, if, if if in the cartoon world, Jason fell down a manhole and then me and Ian had to do it, like we could get it done. Yeah. Sure. It was just going to take longer. <laughs> do you know what I mean? It would just take longer. I'd be like, oh yeah, I remember that. Yeah. All right, this is what you got to do. YouTube videos later. Yeah, okay. With Mazza, like it's just quick. So again, like I met Jason a few years after that actually, but in terms of, I set up Unstoppable because I remember after Kidhood when nobody wanted to do it. And then, you know, I thought to myself, I've written this hit film. Maybe people will want to see my work. Nobody wanted to see my work. So I wrote the second movie. I wrote the second movie thinking someone was going to make it and nobody wanted to make it. Like nobody. I'm like, okay. Um, Then lo and behold, I'd like, okay, well, I'm starring. I'd written it. Nobody wants to make it. Then Pathé came on board, luckily. And they then then the director of the last film didn't want to direct it, so I was like, okay, fine. 
they said, do you want to direct it? I was like, no, man, I, I'm not a director. Mm. I'm an actor. I'm an actor. I'm an actor who writes. I yes. don't want to direct it. Yeah. Mm. And then I came home and told my missus, these idiots, they want me to direct the film because nobody else wants to do it. And I said, I'll direct in five years, maybe 10 years. And mm. she said, she said, five years ago, I was lending you money for travel cards. How do you know you're going to be in a position to direct in five years time? Wow. I was like, wow. That's a good point. Mm. So I called them. I said, I'm going to do it. And basically everything was on my shoulders. Everything was on my shoulders. At that point, I knew that everybody else involved in that film, if the film didn't work, they could walk away and go, but everything was on my shoulders. So I said, I want my production company to have a credit on the movie. And they were like, what production company? And I'm like, I've just set one up, yep. company's house, 90 quid or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. And I want them to have a credit because basically none of you wanted to do it until Pathé, even my producers didn't want to do it. They weren't sold on it until Pathé said, oh yeah, we like this. And then they suddenly were like, oh, okay, great. None of them. So I said, I want my company. And they said, no. They said, no, your company can't have a credit. And I said, well, I won't do it then. And the thing about me is like, you have to be willing to, you have to be willing to walk away. Yeah. And, you know, I come from a council estate. Like I'm like, I wasn't that, I wasn't that long out of it at that time either. Mm. So I was like, well, cool. I ain't doing it then. And eventually they relented. And then the first credit is, but it still wasn't at the front. The first credit is on, on Unstoppable is on adulthood at the back, back end in association mm. with Unstoppable Entertainment. See, that's, and I love that, that you just stuck to your guns. And I think that's, again, testament to a lot of filmmakers would have caved and sort of gone, well, I have to get my next film made. No one's wanting yeah. to make it. Path they're here, but they won't give me credit or whoever won't give you credit. Yeah. But it's great that you stuck to your guns. And I think it's so important that we do that as filmmakers. And again, not mm. being dicks about it and not being, yeah. you know, right, you know, throwing your toys out the front. It's a case of, I deserve this. This is yeah. what I need for me to grow. Right, yeah, I mean, Ian. Exactly. What I hear there is like what he, what Noel was asking for back then was too, too fucking right. Do you know what I mean? Like it's <laughs> yeah. his thing. Like he, it, there is no show without what Noel's the work that he's put in. Whereas what frustrates me, and, and obviously we've got a lot to be thankful for now, because what frustrates me is when I'm, you know, making a film or whatever, someone that just I don't know, like sends an email or whatever, they got the cheat to go. Oh, well, can I have a producing credit now? And yeah, I'm like, yeah. you haven't done any work, mate. Yeah, <laughs> like, nothing. You don't know what exactly goes into like. It. What Noel was asking for was complete standard, but mm. it baffles me. And I'm sure it still happens to this day where they go, oh, no, no. They've got to kind of keep it to themselves or protect yeah. themselves. It yeah. infuriates me, man. Like, it does. Uh, stuff but like also that. nobody knew back then. Nobody knew back then. Even, even you know, me being honest, Ian, I didn't really know what I was doing. I just, I was never, I've never been academically, like, massively super intelligent in mm. that regard. You know, my, my, my Street kids, smart, mate. My, street yeah, smart. Street yeah. smart. Socially smart. Like, I realised... You know, my, my kids know more maths than me right now. Do you know what I mean? And they're, they're not even in their feeling, teens. Isn't it? It's horrible feeling. Yeah. <laughs> it just is what it is. I, yeah, I, I, again, I know my strengths, right? Yeah. But street smart. I realized that, you know, remember they all left me. Nobody wanted to do it. And then suddenly when Pathé were like, yeah, we're going to distribute this. And mm -hmm. then the other half of the money came in. Suddenly they were all back. Yeah, we're producing and this, that and the other. And I was like, I realized, as Ian said, without even knowing what I was asking for, I realized without me... There's no film. Yeah. There's no film without me. So I'm mm -hmm. like, this is happening or I won't do it. And obviously now the thought of that terrifies me, but that's because I know the business. 
But back then when I had I didn't know the business, mm-hmm. I had nothing to lose. And I, as I said, I was only like a few years out of the estate anyway. By that point, it was still early in the career. Mm-hmm. I'm like, I didn't I didn't feel like I felt like I had nothing to lose. And therefore I was like, if I, if that doesn't happen, I'm not doing the project. Mm. It's amazing that feeling of that first sort of film, if you like. I know it wasn't your first film, but that first oh, I'm directing type thing and I want yeah. to produce a credit. You do have that. It's a really weird kind of confidence that you can only have when you haven't fully directed yeah. and produced when you're going yeah, yeah yeah i can do that now we're all looking back yeah. going oh my god i can't believe i did that to get my first film made and you did 100%. that and it's, it's it's interesting let's just jump back slightly and talk about kid Hood and why you wrote this amazing feature film that did incredibly well and i'm still so surprised now listening to you talk about how it didn't do why no one wanted to do the sequel it, <laughs> it doesn't make sense in my head it made a lot of money for a lot of people but let's <laughs> yeah. just jump back about how you wrote it, why you wrote it. And obviously, like you said, you always wrote. Was that something you did as a kid? Did you just pick up pen and paper and write stories? Yeah. I th- you know, my mum was a nurse, so she was, you know, she'd work a lot, you know, she's saving lives, you know, paediatric nurse. She'd work a lot. And um, as everyone's parents who were working did. Um, so if she worked early, she'd work early. So I was going to school from my, on my own from seven years old. Like I had my own keys, whatever. But like weekends, you're a nurse, right? So you, you work weekends. So some weekends should be like Saturday, Sunday. She's like, boom, 6.45, she's out the door. I get up, my snacks are there with a little, po- not even a post-it back then, like a little piece of paper. Yeah. You know, post-its weren't invented then. No. <laughs> little piece of paper. These these are your snacks for the day. Yeah. But, you know, I could do my breakfast myself, but there was, for, for lunch, you could do toasted sandwich or there was a sandwich made or whatever like that or da 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 And then I'll be back at X amount of time or X time. You know, so I would just watch TV and films all day and play with my toys like fuel my imagination play with my toys and, so it's just you and, like no brother sisters dad no, not around none of that no. right. and I would just write and I would just write like I'm talking like you know with my little uh, what are they called it? The, uh, action man action not the big man. ones the, yeah not the big ones the, the he-man action force action, action force. force yes action okay. force the little the yeah, little ones, little like, ones loads yeah. of action force and again that was like you know, and I would like write a little story of what I was going to do for that day, who the bad guys were and so-and-so was going to turn on them and whatever. And then I'd be like, yeah, that's good. And then I would play that out. So I was just, I was just writing, just writing all the time. Yeah. And that just kept, that just kept going. That's interesting. Your creativity came from, you know, childhood. And I, I try and say this to a lot of filmmakers as well is when we were kids our imagination was the best in the world we created stories yeah. out of nothing these amazing films if you think back now these are just yeah. incredible and if you yeah. don't hold on to that you can get lost in a world of you know instagram and uh, actually earning real money in terms of world and you know it, yeah. it can being creative is an incredible thing and people we almost as soon as we get to eight or nine we get told to stop doing that stop daydreaming like, but yeah. daydreaming is what we do we yeah, get yeah, paid yeah. for it now to daydream yeah, yeah, you know yeah. we just have to put it down on paper or put it onto film yeah and that was kind of the kid thing I, I just kind of like you know i've been thinking about that story in my head and then i saw i saw there were two things i saw a play at the royal court that because by this time i was i'd started acting and but i did write that film. i wrote kid in like 99 2000 Wow. Okay. Um, so it's, it's you know four years before you five four or five years before it even got made, and then six seven years before it even came out. And had you um, just sorry no, had you had you written anything before that in terms of a screenplay? Did you know structure of a screenplay or was it? Had, yeah. How did you put it down? Yeah, I, I did because a few years previous to that, when I started saying you know uh, I'm going to write, and I had I had had a computer, a first house computer, you know, and got word on it. <laughs> um, I started. I started writing on Word, obviously, like everyone. And then I kind of, it wasn't Google at the time. Yahoo was the main guy at the time, I think. 
I think I yahooed, you know, what people write movies on, mm-hmm. and it was Final Draft. Mm-hmm. Um, and it was like £300, like unbelievable yeah. amount of money. So it took me like four months to save up for it or whatever, you know, me as, you know, working in a gym. Um, excuse me. So I bought Final Draft, and I didn't know what to do. And Faber and Faber used to publish screenplays. Um, they used to actually publish screenplays. You could buy like American Beauty and you'd open it and it would be in, in the screenplay format. So I just used to buy screenplays and, and taught myself how to how to write, you know, you know, and everyone same as everyone did started like one finger, then eventually you hit like that, and then yep. you you know, and then you start getting there. And I just taught myself how to write screenplays like that. And and, and Kirahood was was probably I don't know, maybe the fifth, maybe the fifth one I wrote, fifth or sixth one I wrote. Mm-hmm. Yeah, wrote with some friends, wrote a couple on my own. Mm-hmm. But Kidot is probably the fifth one. Yeah, that's fantastic, mate. Yeah, we all write some. I think certainly me. I don't know if you've written at all, Ian, but I know with me, there's so many screenplays sat around here or ones that I've thrown away that you just like, yeah, yeah it's yeah. terrible. And a lot where I've got I, to page I, I, seventy and stopped, you know. Yeah. I've I've tried. I I, I gave it a go and I I just found it incredibly difficult. And it's definitely something I I want to approach again. But but what I'm hearing there is it's what I come across time and time again, especially when people are maybe not necessarily making stuff is they've written one thing and it's like, oh, well, that didn't work out. And then they just move on. But you're saying that was like your fifth script at that point. Same with you, Giles, like you've got loads lying around. Mm -hmm. You just you just you're going to keep going regardless of what people say. And that's the difference, right? That's the key, man. I think. You know, because at the time I wasn't writing to get movies made. I was writing because I was creative and I had just wanted to say stuff. You know, I was watching horrors. I was like, oh, I don't like that. I'm going to write my own horror. So I wrote my own horror. Watching thrillers. Oh, I'm going to write my own thriller. You know, a, a film we did called 10 by 10, mm-hmm. which starring Luke Evans and Kaylee Riley. I wrote that. I wrote that ages ago. I wrote that ages ago. I just, I wrote that because I thought, I, I wrote it for me as well because I thought, oh, this will be a good to show me in a role to show me in a different light, mm. you know. Uh, and I, I and I wrote that, and I probably wrote that before Brotherhood, you know. Just sometimes films go take a different journey, yeah. or whatever, you know. And in the end, it was like, you know, I'm still a businessman or I've become a businessman, so it's like, well, I can star in the film for sure, and it's going to make X amount of money, or I can get Luke Evans to star in it or someone of that, you know. And then the film's in profit before it comes out. Do you know what I mean? That's mm. that's business. That's mm. about not fueling me as an actor going, oh, I'm going to do that. But it's like a business decision, you know, which is going to help the company in a better way. And that's interesting there that you said about when you first started, you were kind of writing, not necessarily for yourself, but you were going, well, I could play these roles, right? Yeah. When you wrote Kid Adulthood, was Sam always the role? You're like, well, I'm going to play this if it ever happens. <laughs> was that the idea? No, no, it was no, not. No, okay. It was not. Kid Adulthood. Kid Adulthood. So I wrote... I wrote uh, Remembering Jesse n- Nothing in there for me uh, Rom-com Which got made later on A couple of other things Nothing in there for me Kidothood I was uh, Kidothood was for me I was supposed to play Trife The lead role Ah okay The lead role That was you know I'm from that area mm-hmm. It was about me and my friends I was like That's my role I've written this for me I'm going to play that role You're talking 99 2000 yeah didn't get made to 2005, right? Something Didn't like that. Didn't get made to 2005. Right, baby. Didn't get made to 2005, uh, 2004. Didn't come out to 2006. I wrote that for me. And mm. it got, you know, once it started moving and it got a director, even the director Hood, who, you know, I'm still friends with now. We're good friends. He's directing Batgirl at the minute and Charmed in, in LA. Wicked. And stuff. 
he he was like, I don't think you can play Trife, man. I think you, you're, you're starting to look too old. In 2004, it was like, you're starting to look too old. And I was like, nah, man, i got to play Trife. I wrote this for me, you know, I want to do it. Um, then people were just like, you need to really think about this because obviously, you know, and again, business decision. It's like, okay, you can stick to your guns and be this character in this film and everyone might go, hmm, film was good but I didn't buy that guy playing a 16 year old mm. or you can play a smaller role get the film made and people might see it for what it is and, and enjoy it and so I said well fine I'm playing Sam and even even then they were like mm, we're not sure we're not sure if you're intimidating enough to play Sam there was a lot of that talk you know so even then Hoods was like well when we audition the kids when we audition the kids for the the, the roles you can read Sam opposite them and if I buy that you intimidate them enough, if I can believe that, then I'll let you play Sam. I mean, in my mind, I'm like, I'm playing Sam. But of I didn't course. Get, I didn't want to get to it to be that sort of conversation. So I did. I did what he said in the auditions. I just like, you know, did what he said and tried to be as tried to be as Sam as possible, you know, so he could see it. And you know, after a couple of days, he was like, "Yeah, I see it." So, and I was like, "Great." That's really nice. How did you even get it to that team anyway in the first place for them to even have the question to you to say which role you can or can't play? Because obviously getting any screenplay to any production company is really hard and for them to take it seriously is really, really hard and think yeah. we're going to make this. How did you even... I, I, obviously, Alfred we the same pet at that point. Uh, I think Doctor Who was already happening around that Doctor point. Doctor Who was... Kid Hood and Doctor Who came out around the same, same time. time. But... Okay. but it's a weird one because obviously I was an I, I was an actor not not long in the business, but I didn't really have many contacts. I remember my agent at the time. So the first person to read it was Ricky Beetleblair, who was the first person to read it. And then I was in doing Arvida Saints Pet and Timothy Spall read it, uh, which is why Rafe Rafe Spall's in it because you know I met Rafe through Tim. Yeah. Um, and I went to my agent at the time and said, "I've written this script. Can you help me with it?" And they said, "We don't we don't do that. We don't do that." I was like, okay. okay. So it just, just sat there. And then one day I was in their office and I heard them on the phone talking about another actor who was older than me, um, different class to me. And I heard them on the phone say, well, yes, so-and-so has written a screenplay and, you know, it'd be wonderful to get it to you, etc." And I'm like... Hang on. Hello. Yeah. I'm like, hang on. I'm pretty sure you guys told me that you don't really do that sort of stuff. So mm -hmm. once I heard that, I was like, okay, cool. This is how we're rolling. Like business is business, right? So I started to learn about business very early on. I'm like, well, if they're not going to do it, I'll take it somewhere that is going to do it. Mm. And the director, I met him through an actor I was working with who said, oh, I just worked with Hoods on a short film. And the act, I said to the actor, read my screenplay. And he's like, oh, this is wicked, man. I just worked with Hoods on a short film called Jump Boy. So Hoods had done a short film called Jump Boy, which was about kids getting robbed in West London. And the actor said, I think Hoods will love this. So can I send it to him? I said, yeah, send it to him. So he sent it to Hoods and Hoods emailed back and was like, I love this. I'm going to come to London so, to meet you guys. Nice. Hoods was repped by Independent Talent. Mm -hmm. uh, and they, they read it and they were like, we can help you with your script writing. So I was like, cool. Since right. the other agent was kind of mugging me off, I was like, cool. And I went over Independent there. Independent and big as well. Yeah, yeah. fantastic. So they read you as an actor as well at the same time or just for your writing? No, just, it was just for my writing just at first. Just for your writing, right. It was just for my writing at first, yeah. Yeah, yeah. 
that's amazing. And and he then Hoods then got it to the production company. Was it his production company at the time, or was independent his production help company it? is his production company is credited, but independent help package it through various different ways. You know, uh, my agent at the time went to university with a young producer, um, and that young producer took it on like young producer, like straight out of university as well. He took it on. Mm. Um, so it was Hoods, the young producer, uh, sort of myself was that team, you know, we were all quite young. Mm-hmm. Um, and we just went around and nobody wanted to do it. <laughs> I was going to say, yeah. Right. How did you get it done then? How did you go from no- knocking on doors for no one wants to do this to suddenly it being a, you know, big film that made lots of money? Yeah. Well, Ian, was, I t- I've told Ian this time, like we, we knocked on every door. We knocked on every door and nobody wanted to do it. And then the young producer went to university with the son of somebody from a famous hairdressing brand. Um, and the, okay. the famous hairdressing brand guy's son was the business partner, so also a producer. And he asked his dad and from the famous hairdressing brand, and his dad was like, yeah. So basically, you know, we've, we've got no options left. The film's dead. Mm-hmm. And then the dad was like, well, if my son's a producer on it, which he is, then mm-hmm. I'll put in half the money. Wow. And then the dad contacted other Italians that he knows and we got in touch and, and knew someone that owned a famous coffee brand. This is, I love this. That's still, that's still around now. Okay. And basically, Kidothood was financed by a famous hairdressing brand and a famous coffee brand. That is, I love that. I said, really? So no, it wasn't like no, no, one, no other production company came and bought no. to put money. It no. was literally too independent. No. Well, so, so the production companies were, obviously the young producer had his, his company the director kind of had his company mm-hmm. and then Damien Jones came on board as well and had his company, but none of them were money. Pe- like none of them. No, the they're film, producers. They're like, Damien oh, yeah, was bought on, producers, Damien right. was bought on to make sure the young team, all of us could actually finish the, the movie. Mm-hmm. None of the producers had money or, or were money people. Everyone had already said no. So, uh, but in the end it was this, this famous hairdressing brand and this, and this famous coffee brand. And that was it. It was all, it was all their money, 50% each. That's incredible. So obviously they made a nice chunk back as well at the end. They from made that. a lot of money back. I mean, it, they, they had to audit some people down the line. That's a whole other story. Um, but but right. they, they made a, they've made their money back for sure. That's amazing. And did they ever put money into another film again or help you in that way? Or no, Me, no. They've helped other people. Okay. Uh, but, but me, no. I was never like... Involved was, too much in that certain, side. Certain people kept me apart from them. So yeah, yeah. I, there was a, there was always a barrier because you know what it's like when people you know what some people are like when they've got a contact they'll always keep the talent away in case in case you know maybe I try to steal their contact or their contact realizes actually they should be back in the talent the talent yeah rather you know, than they always kind of want to be the gatekeeper mm. and so I never actually I never actually I've barely spoken to them over all the years how did you feel at the time then when that money was in play i mean again you were quite green so you didn't know any different and maybe you thought this was kind of normal uh, you know when they're going yeah we've got the money and we're going to shoot did you think this is real did you think this is going to happen or do you think at any point this will all fall apart it did fall apart so uh, i mean again what you're saying i was quite green so like i didn't really understand the implications of getting a film made and, and how mm-hmm. how impressive it was especially when everyone else had said no mm-hmm. but it did fall apart the first time the first time in 2003 it went up um, and this is when the hairdressing guy was involved, but not the coffee guy and other people were involved. And then it all fell apart. We cast all the actors and all that kind of stuff. Then it fell apart and it went away for a year. And then the coffee guys came in and then it got made in 2004. And right. then we were on set. I, I guess 
when I know now how difficult it is to get a project up, you know, you think bloody hell. But at the time, it was just like, you know, I wasn't involved in the paperwork or the closing or anything like that. So you just kind of like, right, we're closing, we're going to shoot. And, and then the film was, the film was shooting. How did that feel then on set then? It's your movie, you've written it. Um, you are in it. You know, it's not the role you originally wrote for yourself, but it's still a fantastic role. Obviously, we can talk about how that's developed in a bit as well. But yeah. how did you feel? Can you remember how you felt? at all on set and that sort of whole feeling with I, I, I can and, and weirdly uh, it wouldn't be what you think because again it goes back to the same point I didn't understand mm. what we were achieving so I'm just like oh I'm a few years into this business I wrote a film it didn't get made it's getting made great like you know I didn't really you know I, I knew that I was on Hoods' shoulder every day Hoods was like listen I live around there but I'm not from this world I need you on my shoulder every day so I was on his shoulder every day, like watching, learning, watching what he was doing, learning, you know, saying, nah, that, that wouldn't be like that or that shouldn't be like that, you know. And, mm. Which must have been know, invaluable when you went into going, well, I'm directing, I don't hold myself because no one else is doing it. You must have yeah. taken everything you'd learned from that and from your acting. From the acting, yeah, Doctor Who, I've the same pet, you know, just yeah. just taking all those things that I'd seen and stuff like that and, 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 and that's how I kind of moved forward. But definitely it was it was a a massive learning thing that I, I loved. I just remember going there and sitting by the monitor with him every day, mm. you know, and just watching. What would you tell, what, what would you tell your younger self now, looking back at that younger Noel Clark, would you have said anything different to make him feel any different or say, look, this is amazing. You know, this isn't very impressive. Part of me wants to say that, I wouldn't change anything if I'm honest because he, he's a great guy and actually it worked out. You know, there's a small part of me that's like I should have directed the first film, mm. but it may not have got signed. It may not have got signed off. Do you know what I mean? Mm. Um, but but that that's yeah. But then but then having done the first film, then you know you go on a completely different timeline and maybe the second one doesn't get made or, or, or whatnot. So mm. it is what it is, isn't it? Yeah, I your think, career wouldn't be yeah, where I think it this is. Business yeah. is about you know a lot of it is what we're talking about is survival right and you kind of need <laughs> yeah. to go through there are there are loads of moments where you've been screwed over you know it happens all the time and yeah you kind of in a weird way you're kind of thankful for it now because you, you you've learned from it and you've had to adapt from it and, and these are the war wounds that you you need to kind of survive in this business and then and, and that, you know that's how we know work well together is because we've, we've kind of been through it yeah and we've survived it but we've we've, we've always had a place we come from integrity, you know. We never wanted to screw. There's plenty of um, plenty of space between us. You know, we can all work yeah. together. You know, you don't have to. You know, everyone's grabbing for a piece of the pie. And yeah. I think, th but those th those those individuals that do act in such a way, they you know, they don't tend to last that long. They it's their ego that gets out of place, and it's, they try yeah, and make this movie. Ian's so right, man. He's so right, and it's so interesting because obviously, you know, I've fallen out on a, with an abundance of people in this business, but I can always look at myself and be like, that's it just, it just, it, it does happen. But I can always look at myself and like, I've never in my life set out to screw someone over yeah. or or be bad hearted or anything like that. That's just not how I operate at all. Yeah. You know, you know what happens is you come up against people like that, and you just sometimes you just can't believe the shit that they do. Like you just can't believe how certain people behave, and then you you automatically fall out because you're like, I can't be around that energy. No, or whatever. You can't. Or they do some effed up stuff. And they kind of make it look like it's you. Mm -hmm. And then you're just like, I, I can't, I can't deal with that. Do you know what I mean? So you realize that 
fame and the desperation for success is such a drug for some people mm. that they will do anything to try and get it, even if it means like screwing people over. Mm -hmm. And it's because, or you get those other people who always think they're going to be screwed over. And I came to realize that the reason they always think they're going to be screwed over is because that is how they behave. That's their mentality. Yeah. You know, I, I knew an actor that was always like, no, 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 there needs to be a contract on everything. I, I can't do this. And because what if they do that? And he was basically projecting. He was projecting how he would behave if he was successful, mm -hmm. but he wasn't. So every time someone said something, he was like, no, nah, there's got to be a contract. So like, what, what are you talking about? Mm -hmm. Like, obviously, when you get older in his business, sure, you do contracts. But, you know, even if Ian and I and Jason work together, we do a contract. That's just business. But mm -hmm. none of us are bad hearted. But you get these even very insecure people or these very bad-minded people that just do some effed up shit, man. And like, it, it, it just, it's really not cool. This business, this business is full of bottom feeders, like full of them. It is, and especially when you're starting out, it's, it just, you, they leech onto you because you might have a project that might go somewhere. Yeah. And yeah. I had that many times where you'd be in the middle of something, you'd have people attached and that producer would, all they'd be doing is using your project to leverage another project. Yeah. So they could say, hey, I'm doing this one as well, and we've got so-and-so attached, with no intention of making your project, but just to sound good in meetings about other yeah. projects. I mean, you must have come across that so much after uh, Kid Hood then, because now let's talk about that fame thing that you talked about. It suddenly became massive. You became talked about a lot. Um, yeah. And like I say, that's when I heard of you. I was like, wow, okay, uh, this, this guy's doing really well and actually making stuff himself and writing it, I need to be doing that. What changed for you after that? Like you say, you struggled to get adulthood made, which still blows my mind. Um, what changed for you then? Did, did like I say, Doctor Who came out at the same time, you blew up. Can you remember suddenly, was everyone then knocking on your door? Was Did things change with the agent? Can you remember that time and how yeah, you felt? Yeah, I can. And it's interesting because, you know, things blew up as much as they could blow up. You know, it, it, it'd be like... It'd be like an explosion within a container that's mm -hmm. bomb-proof. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. You, you can only go so far back then, especially you could only go so far. You know, there wasn't the world didn't know what to do with me. Mm. Like now, you know, as we talk about, you know, Michael and how good he's doing and, and rap man and how good they're doing is like the world 15 years on is in a place where it knows what to do with people who, who have that, that, that success. Mm. When I had that success 12, 12 years ago, mm -hmm. and nobody knew what to do with me. There wasn't, it wasn't like, right, great, he's out, let's put him in this film. The, the, the jobs weren't there. The jobs weren't there. Do you know what I mean? I went to LA. Yeah. And like, there was nobody there to tell me. I mean, obviously there must've been people there, but there was nobody I knew there to tell me like, get cabs. Uh, sorry, rent a car. Mm -hmm. uh, yeah, do don't this, get do cabs. that. Yeah, don't get cabs. You know, yeah. I, I, you know, I got cabs everywhere. Crazy. Do you know what I mean? Yeah you know, rushing around the city trying to go to these meetings. There was nobody that, like, I didn't, the, the world didn't know what to do with someone like me. Mm. And I'm not talking about, like, a posh black actor who's, you know, trained and right there, da 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 because a few years later, a lot of our guys were popping over there and doing, I'm mm. talking about, at the time, a working class guy who, it was almost like, brilliant, brilliant, okay, off you go again. Like, no one knew what to do. Right. The jobs weren't there, the thing weren't, weren't there. Like, it's not like now there's so much, so much more diversity, so much more opportunity. We can, you can 
win those things or have a successful movie and you're like, bang, someone's like, great, we want you to come do this in America. We want you to come do that. <laughs> no one knew what to do. So as I said, it was like blowing up within a bomb-proof container where you're like, boom, and then you just hit all these sides and you kind of can go no further. Which must have been frustrating. Now you say that, it's a really great analogy because you're now in your world, if you like, the people around you and in, in the estate you're probably still living in was, oh, it's no Clark, no Clark, no Clark. You must be Hollywood, bang, bang, bang. But yet you're finding you can't get out of the box, you know, yeah. like the Zoom box you're in now. It's like, well, yeah. how... Because that must have been frustrating as hell. Because people it is frustrating because like, you do a one film. film. Yeah. You do one film, everyone thinks you're a millionaire. That is not the case, guys. Um, at all. But yeah, it, it was frustrating. But again, like it kind of just was what it was. Like it wasn't like there was opportunity and I wasn't getting them. It's like it wasn't there. So yeah. you kind of didn't you kind of didn't really you just you got frustrated knowing that you wanted to do these things, but it's like, well, why weren't they there? Why are they not there? How come mm. this job's not there? How come that job's not there? Mm. You know, hence the writing and hence mm-hmm. making more things things myself. Because had I not done that, you know, I, I don't know what would have been done. And I was trying to, you know, I was trying to break out. I was trying to, I don't mean break out career wise. I was trying to, like, you know, we did Stories Twenty Four, mm-hmm. yeah, sci fi movie. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? I was trying to try and take this country, kind of where the country is kind of getting to now mm-hmm. in terms of commercial films and thinking outside the box and stuff like Bulletproof. Like, mm-hmm. you know, we wanted to make bad boys back then. Stories 24, sci-fi film, mm-hmm. right? Made for peanuts. Mm-hmm. Sells in America for half a million, you know, mm-hmm. to um to like Magnolia. They release it on a cinema screen for one day to unlock TV money. So they they then sell it on for like, a bunch of money mm-hmm. they're happy everyone's happy but the film was on one screen for one day in america made like 76 dollars. what the fuck does this country do what does this country do this country puts out a headline that says noel clark has the lowest grossing film in the world mm-hmm. it doesn't put out a headline about isn't this amazing that this mm-hmm. council estate guy mm-hmm. has managed to write a sci-fi film that has sold in america and you know, and has sold, money. got a big TV deal mm-hmm. for X amount of money. Like, didn't even do the research to know that the company put it on one screen for one day. They just looked at box office results and was like, he's got the, this country, like mm. the scum in this country, man, they just like tear their talent down. And that's why, yeah. all, that's why all the black talent left. Yeah. Well, 99% of them left. I guess, again, I, I keep going back to it, but you just got to go, fuck it. You just got to keep going. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? You gotta yeah. Keep going, keep going. And that's what you did, no, yeah. right? Because you just kept going. You were like, well, Necess- fuck it. Necessity. Ne- necessity, right? man. Like, yeah. I wish I could tell you it was a master plan. Necessity. Yeah. You know, I got called over ambitious once. And I'm just wow. like, what? I'm just like, you know, imagine telling your kids like, right, kids, have a nice day at school. Work hard, okay? Ah, ah. Not too hard. Don't be over ambitious. Ludicrous. Yeah. Like, Ludicrous. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Which, yeah. again, I suppose coming back to adulthood then, how, that must have felt great, though, when you were supposed you were in that stage between kidulthood and adulthood, where you, which technically you were kind of doing yourself as well as a, which is kind of a, a good metaphor for you, that you were going through that stage as an actor, director, producer, that you were a kid when you first made the sec- first one. And the second one you had developed massively. That must have felt great to sort of, shove it down the faces a little bit of those people who were giving you a hard time during that period of when people were saying no, no, no to the sequel. Yeah, it, it, I mean, I've never been a person that's like, ha ha, in your face. I've never been that guy because I'm mm. just like, you know, here today, gone tomorrow. Do you know what I mean? So there's, there's no point being like that and then you could be on your ass, you know. But 
it definitely was a good feeling knowing that I was willing to take that pressure when everyone was like, well, I'm not doing that. I'm not doing that. And I was like, okay, cool. Well, if this thing flops, it's on me. And all of them, because I was like, I knew if it flopped, all of them would just go, I was just collecting my check, man. He, mm. he wanted to write, direct and star, like, who you know. So therefore, if it's all on me, if it flops, then if it succeeds, it's on me. That's how mm. I'm rolling. Mm-hmm. Like you ain't taking no credit for my shit. If if that's how it's gonna be, if it flops, then if it succeeds, it's on me. And that's how I moved. I was like, I'm writing it, I'm directing, I'm starring. If it works, it's on me. It ain't on none of you. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. And, and and it did. And you know, we got the the BAFTA for that. And you know, that definitely was a big change in the career. But as I said, you know, an explosion in a bomb-proof box. So like it, it only did so much. Right, so um, you still felt the same way after adulthood as well, because yeah. after that you start to work, you know, with some bigger directors in terms of the work you'd done before. Big films were coming in, Doghouse, obviously with Jake West and, you know, Centurion, Centurion as well, yeah, you know, Neil some Marshall. Neil Marshall, yeah. who's been on this podcast as well. And I think that's really interesting. Did that, like you say, the change, you had that explosion, but again, for your acting career, it, it did wonders, right? In some way, the BAFTA Rising Star yeah, Award I mean, winning but the that. Ce- but the ceiling was still there. The ceiling was still there. And also, I feel like I still wasn't getting into worthy films. Okay. Do you know what I mean? But that's a class thing. Mm. That's a class thing. You know, people were aware of where I came from and how I spoke and, you know, weren't willing to give me that that sort of opportunity acting-wise, you know, and maybe maybe I wasn't ready, like, for doing a posh RP accent or, or whatever. I don't know, but I wasn't getting offers. Like I wasn't getting worthy films. Like, it wasn't like I won a BAFTA, then I was in a film that could win another one. Like I still wasn't getting seen for those things, you know. But that uh, that's that was a class thing for sure. Mm. Did you find that um, you were getting in the room more though, in terms of, uh, but just maybe not the lead roles? Was that as uh, something that was happening as well? Did obviously agents knocking on the door? Did that change? I mean, you know. <laughs> I I want to say yeah, but not not really. Like no, but that's really. interesting that it didn't. I find I that mean, interesting. We a all... few things. So like Pathé did Pathé did Centurion. So mm. the one thing that happened immediately was uh, after I won the Rising Star, Pathé were like, "We're doing Centurion. You're in it." Mm. I don't think right. I don't think Neil, I don't think Neil was like. I think he was told like, "Yeah, he's in it." And I okay. remember there was a, a hullabaloo about where well, there's no Black Roman soldiers. And then, because the exec told me that he heard that in a meeting, there's no black Roman soldiers. And he just spanned his laptop around and was like, he Googled it, spanned his laptop around and was like, there you go. There was. There yeah. was. And mm-hmm. there was. Yeah, so, there was. Yeah. you know, I was in that. Riz was in that as well. Mm. Um, Riz Ahmed, yeah. Michael Fassbender, like mm. two weeks after we had the, ba- two weeks after the BAFTA that he was nominated for as well, that I had yeah. won. So, you know, that that was interesting. Um, and then, that so that was that that happened so that mm. wasn't changed suddenly i was offered a job like i didn't have to audition for you know but but pretty much everything else you know the the dog houses I, I still had to audition and meet and like it wasn't you know it wasn't what you picture it would would be i think that i think that's something because i felt the same i remember i was in a film called i want candy and i really thought this was going to blow up and be massive and i thought people would knock on my door 
And the fact is, no one did at all. The film wasn't <laughs> massive. And no, not one person knocked on the door because of it. And I think a lot of actors think that way, or filmmakers. You get one film, this is it. Everyone's going to knock on your door. You're gonna... No, you have to do the work. You've got to do you the work. You have to be knocking on yeah. people's doors and going, by the way, there's a film you've probably not seen, but a minute. Or there's a film that I've directed you've probably not seen, but I've made it. 100%. If you're not doing that... And this is a huge lesson for filmmakers or uh, actors who haven't done anything yet or about to do something or done a few. You've got to do it. Yeah. You've got to constantly do that. 100%. You have to keep, you have to keep up the, uh, you have to keep up the, the fight all the time. You have to keep up the, the, the determination. I got a text this morning actually from someone going like, I've missed your inspiring chats this year. You know, Mm. sometimes it feels hopeless. Sometimes I lose my determination. And I was like, Okay, listen, feeling hopeless. I said, that's cool um, because uh, we can all feel hopeless sometimes. I said, but losing your determination, I said, if you're losing your determination, you might as well quit. Like, I don't know if they wanted sympathy from me. I said, but I was like, if, you, if you're not going to fight, quit now. Rethink and quit now because I, I, I'm not your crutch for a start. But also the one thing you have to have is determination. You know, whether you get there or not, you have to have fight. You know, you know, of course, there's always that point in your life where you have to go, okay, I now need to do something else or whatever. But if you don't have the determination until you get to that point, and even then you can still have the determination, you just know you've got to pay your bills and you might have to go off and do something else. You know what I mean? You, but if you don't have the determination, then you need to not do it. It's true, man. It's it's one of the one things you can actually control, right? Because we're working in an industry where we don't know what's going to happen next or whatever, but if you're, if the work ethic's there and you're putting it in day in, day out, the harder you work, the luckier you get. You just got to keep yeah. going and going. And if you, you're right, like I have a few friends that kind of, I'm their guy for that. And I'm like, look, man, I, now I don't even have the tolerance. I'm like, just, just keep going, man. Just keep going. <laughs> yeah. Like if it means yeah. I'm leading by example, just, yeah. just whatever, just keep going. And I was like, you can feel hopeless because sometimes it's all right to go, man, this is yeah. so hard, man. I feel hopeless. Like you can feel that. Everyone has felt that hopelessness, but you don't go... I'm not determined. You go, this is hopeless. Right. How am I, I going to get yeah. past it? Like, Use you, it. You need the determination. Yeah. Otherwise, you've got to stop. You do. You know? It's too hard. It's it too, hard. too hard. Yeah, if you yeah. don't love it, you need to quit now. Yeah. Anyone yeah. who's listening, like, I'm yeah. sorry. Yeah, yeah. Like, we want you to listen to the podcast and have positive vibes. But if you are not determined, if you are not willing to fight, you need to quit today. Yeah. 100%. And look, get, what you're hearing here is the truth. This should inspire you. Yes. If it goes, if you feel any other way, it, it wasn't meant for you. Absolutely. Do something else, you know? Yeah. Whereas this, Anyone who goes... Yeah, he's right. He's you right. weren't supposed to be doing it anyway. You weren't supposed to be doing it. Yeah, it's just, it's go fact. do something worthy. You know what I mean? Yeah. Like Noel's mum, go be a nurse. Do that. <laughs> yeah. you know I mean? Save lives. Go save, save lives. lives. Yeah. And that's Amazing. okay, by the way. That's yeah. all right. Like, totally. If, it was, if it's yeah. not meant to be, it's not meant to be. Uh, th- but- and that's interesting, that whole struggle. There's so many people out there who go, it's, it's not fair, or I'm not getting the opportunities, I'm yeah. not getting the breaks. But well, then it's maybe it's not meant to be, and that's okay. Yeah, mate, uh, nothing, mate, nothing is fair, mate. Nothing no. is fair. I love that, No, It's really good. Um, I want to touch on about working with other directors then because obviously you're a director yourself and like yeah. I say you've learned how to be and I think we'll come back to talking about your second film as a director as well 4321 which I loved I think it's an amazing I love film it as well. I love such a movie. great film and I'm glad you love it um, working with other directors you've obviously worked with J.J. Abrams Jake West yeah. who talks about Neil, we- um, Neil Marshall how is it for you you know working with other directors what uh, what do you take from what you've learnt in terms of everything everything the whole sca- yeah what do you take and what do you want from them Exactly that. I take everything. 
like you know mm-hmm. I, I i suck their souls dry like i i, I watch everything <laughs> I, I see how they do it it sometimes it's interesting because i've worked with a couple of directors not jj by the way he's just an absolute genius and probably the nicest man i ever met i've always said he must have a room he smashes up in his house because he's so nice all the time i'm like <laughs> really? when he gets home he goes but hi dear and then smash up this room um a rage room or something like that. rage but, rooms nice but i've worked with some directors that are quite up there and you know i remember i won't name the person i remember being on a film and working with this director who's quite up there and watching them you know side-eyeing watching them and realizing like i'm better than you because i was like you know you're not doing anything your dp does everything mm. i was watching them like their dp does every, everything the dp does everything and they kind of sit there and it's the next setup and they go and the dp goes well uh they rehearse a thing and then DP goes, okay, well, let's, uh, we'll do a wide and we come from here and the director goes, and I'm like, what? And I'm like, you're, your ex, you're this person and that's mm-hmm. how you do it. Wow. I'm like, huh? Uh-huh. Do you know what I mean? And, I, and yeah. you know, that working in that particular film gave me confidence because I was like, when I got in the film, I was like, oh my God, working with this person. I'm like, mm-hmm. just watch and learn, watch and learn. And I watched and I was like, hmm, Interesting. And this goes back to what Ian says. Sometimes it's just like you build that sort of hype and you go from one thing to the other and people protect you. You're on something and it's kind of going wrong, but they make it go right. And then, you know, you're on the next thing before that one even comes out. So people don't really know it. And then you've got 10 things and then people, once you've got 10 things, people just hire you because you've got 10 things. And do you know what I mean? It it works like that. Um, But working with people like JJ Abrams, I mean, that was a real lesson, you know, because he is just just a nice man and he manages to come to work every single day and if he's in a, a mood you don't you don't see it you don't see it you know was that he, was that something that potentially because we all see this image of a director or image of a producer you know the harvey weinstein knobheads of that world who'd come in and ball and shout and directors have that reputation we all saw when we were kids it was like directors there with the megaphone kicking off yeah and you know before you directed we kind of like well that's how a director is <laughs> After you saw JJ and saw what he did, did it change your mindset at all? Did you think, ah, okay, maybe I can do it this way? Well, I I I thought it was pretty calm anyway, Mm -hmm. because I'm always learning. So I wasn't, I'm not a shouty guy directing anyway, apart from shouting cut or whatnot. Um, But but yeah, watching JJ Abrams and how he operated really was inspiring and really was kind of like, you know, okay, nice guys can nice guys can get can get far and, and hard workers and grafters and you know that that was something special and he, you know he he i turned up i mean my role is what 10 minutes at the beginning of the film but you were there then, for ages right in i was there for four months three, three four and a half months, months yeah. in, in la yeah. worked at, like worked like eight days and it's only like the first 10 minutes but like you never not knew about his power because and i'll explain that in a minute but you know i got there he knew my name. I'm kind of like, why, why wouldn't he? He cast me. But then, you know, when mm. it gets to these smaller roles, you wonder if they really cast it or if, mm. you know, someone else kind of goes, yeah, what about these guys? And yeah. I always pictured JJ just sitting on the toilet reading the paper and someone was like, hey, what about these guys? And he's like, yeah, that one. And I, I love that on. he had a window in his toilet that someone was looking through. But I've always kind of just pictured it like it was almost an accident. Do you know what I mean? But mm. You know, got there, knew my name. They introduced JJ, sitting in JJ's office. JJ comes, you know, says, hi, good to have you on the thing, blah, blah, blah. And what I mean by I know his power, like they didn't send me a script because it's like Star Trek, right? So they didn't mm-hmm. send me a script. So I got there and I was like, uh, 
Mr. Abraham. Like, and I called me JJ. I was like, oh, sorry, JJ. Um, do you think I could have a script? He's like, you don't have a script? He's like, get an older script. And it was like The Simpsons. Footsteps, car. <laughs> like, and then like within like a minute, someone come, go, <laughs> come running and there's like a script there. And so like you, you, like you knew, like, you know, but he just did it all in the, just the nicest way. Like he's just a nice man and just a brilliant director. So that, that is, was a lesson for me. And I've always taken that on. In terms of how I work with other directors, uh, you know, I auditioned for, I think it was The Level. Mm. Uh, it was Andy Goddard, great director, um, does a lot of TV. And he, I was in the audition for The Level and, you know, he kind of, at the end of the audition, he says, and, uh, you know, how are you, you know, on set? And I said, hey, I said, don't worry. Like when I'm acting, I'm acting. Like you don't have to worry about you doing something and me going, yeah, I wouldn't do that, mate. Like, yeah. I said, you don't have to worry about that. So when I'm I'm acting, I'm acting. Because a lot of directors, especially insecure ones, are intimidated by me. Mm -hmm. And I've had, I've been up for, I was up for quite a big film um, where I knew knew the exec producers from from the company. I won't name the company, but they're they're lovely, so I could do, but I won't. Um, I knew the exec producers um, and the casting director. And everyone was like, yeah, we want to get your role in this film. So I knew the people above the director and they said to the director, okay, so we want Noel to be in this film. We think there's one of these two roles. And he was like, no, nah, no, nah, I, I, I can't, I can't have him here. And they were like, why? And he's like, I just, you know, someone with other strong opinions about how things should happen would not, would not sit well with me. And I never got in that film. And it's because that director basically couldn't deal with his insecurity. See, that's, that's really interesting, isn't it? And it's yeah. true, you know, as a director, I do understand that. I get that. But like I say, I'd talk to you and go, no, how do you feel about, you know, I'm gonna, I'm directing this. And you'd say, no, no, I'm acting. Don't worry about it. I'm never going to judge 100%. you or whatever, you know, uh, unless asked to. Um, 100%. And that, it's it's so as well, and, it, and it's like, he was like, but any British guy and he knew of me and he was just like, no, no, I can't, I can't have him on set because, you know, having another director there just wouldn't sit well. That's his insecurity. He yeah. he's probably like the other guy. I probably would get on set and I'd be like, suss him out. I'd be like, <laughs> I, I, yeah. I I don't know because I was never on set with him, but I it, it immediately got me thinking it's because, you know, if I'm on set, I'm going to see straight through you. Mm-hmm. That's it. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> but was, my, it. was my, was my thought. Yeah. But a lot of directors do, I, you know, back when I was acting, they did get away with it. You were kind of like, looking back now, you go, oh, you weren't really directing, were you? You know, you didn't understand how actors work. And that's yeah. why I think any director out there should do some acting courses or just yeah. understand what an actor goes through. Because And it's okay to have it. weaknesses. As yeah, Ian said totally at the beginning, yeah, yeah. it's okay to have weaknesses. Like, as a director, 100% strength, 100% my strength is, act with, is with the actors and getting the performances out, you know. Obviously, I, set, I plan all my shots and all that, but like I couldn't just go, all right, 75, you know. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I might need to look in the thing and go, nah, you know, I'm, I'm more likely to go uh, there. And then yeah. someone go, 50, am I, is that there? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Do, do, do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Totally get that. Yeah, I'm mm-hmm. the same. I'm not a technical director. I've learned mm-hmm. to what lens. Yeah, I've learned all of that learned. sort of stuff, but I'm more likely to just be like. I'll have it head and shoulders, please. Like, and they'll go I'm like that. Yeah, you know, 40 or 50. Right, yeah, yeah. 100, right. on, 100 on the front. Do you know what I mean? So, uh, yeah. yeah. But you always if, learn, if you're an actor right? and director, you know, make sure you tell and you go up for something, you know, yeah. tell them, look, I know I'm a director. If yeah. it comes up, like, but when I'm acting, mm-hmm. I'm acting. Yeah. yeah. 
for sure. Yeah. Well, let's talk about your next directing gig. Great segue there. Thanks, Noel. Uh, into 4321, which, yeah. again, was it out of necessity? Because, again, it's an amazing film. It's brilliant. It stars Ophelia uh, uh, Lover Bond, who's amazing, Emma Roberts, amazing. T- Tamden Edgerton. You know, it's some amazing, amazing people. Is this, and also Ashley Thomas, maybe where you met him. I don't know if you knew him no, before. No, I knew him before, yeah. You knew him before. Yeah. How did this come about then, 4321, so, in terms of. So, 4321 was one of the, was one of the few. Not I say few, but was was one of the good opportunities where I can't complain about how it happened. It's like adulthood came out, you know, I wasn't really getting anything, whatever. And then Universal, well, I'd written for, I actually wrote 4321 before adulthood uh, right. and nobody wanted to make it. But then after the BAFTA, suddenly people were like, what you got? Um, I got a first look deal with Icon and they didn't do anything. And I had 4321 and Universal were like, we're going to make this. Now, the interesting thing about 4321 is because of my box office numbers at the time, starring in a movie and getting like 3.4 million uh, pounds for something that was only made for like one and a bit, wow. like mm-hmm. I was financeable. So 4321, the 2 million that was 4321 was financed off of me. Wow. So it was like, if you're in it, you get 2 million, like it's financed. So that did a couple of things. It's like, well, one, I was like, oh my God, I really, you know, amazed by that. And the, the, I had promised a friend of mine, Mark Davis, um, you know, I was like, mm-hmm. mate, you can direct this movie because, you know, naively like, yeah, you can direct this movie, mate. I've won a BAFTA, they'll listen to me. And then Universal were like, films finance, you're in it, great, uh, fantastic. Who's directing? I said, oh, this guy. And they were like, no, 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 no. If we put this money in, you're directing a movie. And I was like, ah, mm problem problem because i've told this guy and i'm a man i'm a word i've told this guy that he's doing it they're like well just cut him out like your word isn't a contract is it i was like uh, no, it's not no work. it's not but i said what if i co-direct it they're like we don't care as long as you're directing it we don't give a fuck. you can have papa smurf with you like we don't care as long as you're directing <laughs> it i was like cool so i said to mark look this is the deal he's like cool um and so, you know, we, we would storyboard together, you know, I mean, it's very much my creation. I wrote it and whatnot, but we'd storyboard together and all that. And he's a great guy. I still chat to him now. Um, yeah, well, he's a mate. He's gone on to do The Crown and the Peaky Blinders and stuff. Editing, yeah. He? He was, he was, yeah. He was an editor. Yeah. yeah real yeah. great editors. I, man, I, I love him. Um, so, yeah. And he was, he was assistant editor on um, Dora the Explorer. Which, was he really? Yeah. And the editor of Dora the Explorer was Mark Everson, who edited 4321. And, no way. And that was his second movie because the one he did just before that was, I think, Burke and Hare, which was mm-hmm. um, yeah, Simon, Simon Pegg, Pegg and, yeah. and uh, 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 Andy, Andy Serkis. Yeah. Uh, no, 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 no. He did the Mighty Bush film before that, whatever it was called. Um, yeah. And Burke and Hare was directed by John Landers. And I'm going to go back to four we do in a minute. John Landers called me to ask me about the editor. Wow. So I'm it's, in. I'm 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 on set, and I get this call. Hey, is this no? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> yeah. Who's this? It's John Landis. So he's like, so he's like asking me about his editor. So I tell him, yeah. I was like, man, he's great. He's he's fantastic. Da, 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 da. And bear in mind, I don't know who John Landis is at the time, right? <laughs> so it was just some bloke yeah, on the phone with, bloke with a gruff voice. I'm like, yeah, who's yeah. this guy? And he's like, thank you, thank you, thank you. Puts on the phone. They get the gig. Mark gets the gig. Whatever. I'm like, some dude called John Landis just called me. Who is that? Everyone's like. <laughs> I was like, no, what? 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 <laughs> yeah. what? John Landis just called you. I was like, yeah. They're like, John Land. I was like, yeah. And then it, it dawned on me. He was like, oh my God. Um, but anyway, so 4321 
No, but sorry, uh, no, just before you go into that, I think that's really interesting. And something that happens in our world a lot yeah. is the fact that filmmakers call other filmmakers to ask about crew. <laughs> yeah, they, they do. It happens all the time. I did it on the last, the one I've just literally wrapped yesterday on. And everyone does it all the time. You yeah. bring up the crew members you're thinking about using to find out what they're like yeah. on set. What and so like. this is, you've got to bear this in mind, everyone. If you're a dick or if you're in any way, someone will say, 100%. yeah, yeah, no. And we'll all tell each other, me, Ian. 100%. You know, I've done it. I've done Dana. it. Man, you'd have said that sure. to John Landis, even though you didn't know who he was. If you, you yeah. hadn't liked Mark or whoever it was, you'd have said, yeah. don't use him. Yeah. Mm. So I just wanted to bring that up as a point. So yeah. 4321 was financed off of me. So what that enabled me to do was was get actors and be bullshit about how I got them. Because we went. the first person I went for was Emma Roberts. Because mm. obviously... Uh, she's Emma Roberts. It's Emma you know? Roberts. And even, even yeah. then she was Emma Roberts. Like, you know, mm. but she was... Uh, but she'd just done Nancy Drew, Hotel for Dogs, you know. And I was like, mate, she would be great in this in this movie. And originally I'd written it for four guys and I changed it to four girls. I was like, Emma Roberts, right? See, that's it just on that. Yeah, because I remember reading about that at the time in one of the interviews you did. And you said originally it was four guys and I imagine maybe yourself to be one of those roles. No, I don't think I, I wanted to be. You I wanted think to, I always okay. wanted to play that character. The too. character, the, yeah. yeah, T. Um, yeah. So what, what was the reason to change it to girls? I just wanted some kick-ass girls because we hadn't seen it. We hadn't seen kick-ass girls and... You know, I just wanted some kick-ass girls, and I and even back then because Ricky had such a big influence on me, I was like, I wanted one of them to be black and gay, gay character. Like the representation of that film is so far ahead of itself. Like, mm-hmm. um, and so Emma Roberts, and I remember yeah. calling Emma. <laughs> I don't even know how we got to it. I think one of the producers, and there's a there's a longer story here because Four Three Two One taught me how, that I had to learn to produce because I ended up not getting paid for that movie in any way, shape, or form. Um, but one of the producers at the time was like, right, we'll get to Emma Roberts. Got to Emma Roberts. I remember phone call books. First time I was like, because now I'm starting to understand the business. I'm going to speak to Emma Roberts. Yeah. And, and although the film's financed off of me, it's like, if we get Emma Roberts, Universal, like if you get Emma Roberts, different, different ball game. You know what I mean? Yeah. Speak to Emma. Da, 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 da. Day later, her manager's like, she wants to do it. Fee comes in X amount of money, like nearly the budget of the movie. <laughs> do you know what I mean? We're yeah. like, can't do it. They're like, well, she can't do the movie. But she wanted to do the movie. So what the film being financed for me, I was like, well, I don't need her. I don't mean to be rude, but I don't need her. This film's happening anyway. Mm-hmm. And I could say that confidently because it was financed off of my back. Yeah. So I was like, I don't need her to finance the movie. So this is what we have. And she wanted to do the movie. And so the manager was like, cool. And and she did the movie. And then That's that was great. just fantastic. Mm-hmm. And then Shanika and Ophelia and mm-hmm. Tamsin. And Ben Miller and Helen McCrory and Mandy Patinkin, like Michelle Ryan. It was just that 4321 I love because that was the film I think keeps me working today. If it hadn't, if I hadn't done something so different that people weren't expecting, and I think way ahead of its time, the out of sequence stuff, mm-hmm. the, the representation, people just weren't, you know, Ashley Thomas I'd known because he'd done the soundtrack stuff on, on adulthood. So I'd known him for like two or three years. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I, I said to him, I, you know, I'm going to put you in a film and I got him his agent after that. And, you know, he's, he's flying now. He's still with that agent. I got him and he's flying now. Um, so there was a lot of things there. And then the last piece of that puzzle was Kevin Smith, who mm-hmm. was a massive inspiration to me. Clerks, more rats and all that stuff were like yeah, huge films. I was like, Oh my God, people are just talking how people talk. And so I, I was a fan on his um, sort of website thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, sort of forums. Yes, I didn't really say much because I was like not a geek like that, but I was on it. You know what yeah. I mean? And people kind of knew I was on it. And occasionally I'd write a post and say I'm an actor and this, that, and the other. 
And once he'd responded, I was really chuffed. <clears throat> and so I was like, I want Kevin Smith to play this role. So we talk, you know, speak to the agency. And he told me the story of like, his agent was like, Kev, this little British film's coming for you. Um, <laughs> I'm just going to, I'm just going to pass. So, you know, but I, I need to tell you. What. And he's like, well, hold on. And he said, is it this guy? And mentioned my name. And the agent was like, yeah, how do, how do you know? He's like, he's a, he's a fan of my thing. I'm doing it. Tell him I'll do it. And the agent was like, what? <laughs> he's like, he'll do it. And he actually waived his fee. Um, wow. He actually waived the fee. Because he and it was because he was going to be in London across our weeks because he was doing his tour with uh, yeah. with Jay or with Simon yeah yeah the tour yeah and so I was like mate he's in London anyway like will you come and do this so and and he did it man he, he did it and that isn't that interesting that because he knew of you because you were not a fan necessarily even though you are but you were part of his world online world and his, always chatting his in US that. boards community yeah yeah exactly. I yeah. love that. And again, it's about putting yourself out there and going, well, I really like him, so I'm going to chat on this oh, anyway. Man. Kevin Smith for me was like, the way his films were just, the dialogue was so smooth and it was just mm. how people talk. Jay and Silent Bob to this day, like you you put that on for anyone, a lot of people will just be like, what the fuck is this? Mm. But like, if yeah, you're yeah. into that, his films, when that film came out, was just like the pinnacle of laughter, man. Like, Yeah. And the know. behind the scenes, I don't know if you've seen, they're actually on YouTube now, but pretty much all his movies, proper behind the scenes of how they made them, are really worth checking out, everyone. Yeah. They're really, really good. You know, it's oh, amazing. And, and again, slightly ahead of their time, man. Like stuff he would mm. say, even like Chris Rock plays Shaka Luther King in, in, yeah. uh, in that film. And he's like, yeah. $70 million, I can't get a black grip. Like, but how <laughs> real is that? totally real how it's real true. is that <laughs> you can't, you know I mean? can't find one for love nor money do you yeah, know what i'm so saying true. like yeah, it's yeah. just like it was, it was just a, like amazing and i'm sure chris rock had lived a lot of that stuff and mm. kevin would never claim he wrote that but you know maybe he did i don't know but yeah. um i mean I, I just loved it man and i still like you know I, I tweeted something the other day and he responded i mean he he did say he was going to put me in a film and never did but you know, right? Yeah, it well, is is yeah. what it is, Kev. It is, is what, what it is. is. One day. So look, four, four, three, two, one was. Yeah, like, I loved it. Like I say, I'm so glad that you love it as a film because I find that really interesting to love your own films in terms of. I love my films, right? You've put yeah. your heart and soul into them, but <laughs> yeah. sometimes I find it really difficult to really love them and go, "Oh, my films, whatever, yeah. amazing," or talk about it. But it's so nice that you can say that about no, one of no, your. No, it's important. It's important. I think there's only one that I don't love, and I, I, I'll talk about that. But I love my films because it's like they are where I was at the time. Like I can watch adulthood now and go, oh man, why did I make those directing choices? But I was in my twenties and or late twenties, and it was my first film, and I was finding my style and, and trying to do stuff. But when you know, so would I do that differently now? Of course I would. Yeah, yeah. But I can't go. I can't go. Oh my god! I have to go. That is what it was at the time. You know. Yeah. Would Christopher Nolan change? follow or whatever the first thing was called whatever following was called. yeah he probably would you know mm. but at the t you know so you can't you can't go back retroactively and go oh you know he said that's where i was at the time the only one i don't love is is one i shouldn't have directed i think which was the anomaly and i love the directing in it i love what i did the fight scenes were done in one take it was you know really slick visuals and all that mm -hmm. kind of stuff but <clears throat> the script wasn't good enough i think simon's simon's script wasn't good enough and we didn't have the money we needed to make that movie i was making a 10 million dollar movie on two million right and is that something that you 
because that's that is interesting we all try and achieve more and we set our standards so high when you try and make a feature and every day it comes down not because you don't mean to it's just because there's not the right props money time whatever does it come down to script then in terms of all your projects like you say if you'd had another six months on that script then no no i shouldn't have made that i should just have made made it i shouldn't have made that script is the truth is is the truth i I needed like 10 million and it just wasn't it you know it wasn't there so that and again that was a case of like me pitching movies to universal and then you know adulthood was a success they made money uh, sorry 4321 was a success they made money you know so they were like what what's next do you know what i mean mm. storage came out wasn't a success in the box office but made them their money do you know what i mean yep. the knot mm-hmm. made them a bunch of money because it was made it? so yeah because it was made so cheaply you know right uh, even though it's completely slated you know it's an underrated movie that but mm. it was completely, sl- uh, but it made them a bunch of money. So Anomaly was like financed again, you know. Um, but the, I just shouldn't have done that movie. That that so for me is like, as a whole, I don't love it. But do I do I love my progression and mm-hmm. me trying to do things like those fight scenes are like. I mean, I don't know how they hold up now, but they're in one take. They're pretty cool. Those fight scenes are pretty cool. Like mm-hmm. the one take fight scenes and the visuals and the visuals and the shots that we did. But just like just didn't have enough money to make it. So why do you think you did do it then? Because I was trying to branch out. It was a sci-fi. I was trying to branch out. I was saying, look, a black guy from a council estate can do a sci-fi. You know, we don't always have to, you know, it was because people were just trying to force me to do another hood film. And so 4321 wasn't that. Storage Mm -hmm. wasn't that. I was trying to do different things. I was trying to say, you know, we can do more. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. And, and people were constantly trying to go, no, do the hood thing. Do that. That's what you are. That's who mm. you are. Do that. And I was, you know, but again, I was doing things before, like now if someone does a sci-fi, then people won't bat an eyelid. I was doing it when they're just like, what are you doing? Mm-hmm. What are you doing? Mm. And in, in a weird way, they were right because even our audience, even my audience isn't ready, wasn't ready for that. You know, my audience wasn't ready for 4321 because 4321 only did a million bucks. You know, where adulthood did 3.4. Do you know what I mean? My audience wasn't ready for Bulletproof. They were telling me like, oh, you're going to play a police officer. Like, we don't want to see that. Do you know what I mean? So that really effed me up as well. Because once once that came out and didn't do any money, my value dropped. And I couldn't finance a £2 million film anymore. Right. And that's what's important here, right? Is that why? Because you didn't then, uh, the next thing you did was Brotherhood, right? As a director. Right. Right. So that was the case of you saying shit that didn't make the money anymore i'm not bankable that anymore it wasn't ba- it wasn't bankable yeah right it wasn't right. bankable you could still finance a two million pound film off me because i had box office stats and four four fifty one did a million box and once they make a million they unlock a lot of stuff once they make a million they unlock a lot of stuff that makes it worth their while but mm-hmm. in stories didn't do a million so like right. suddenly it was like okay the not was okay because i wasn't the lead in it so i'm like mm-hmm. that's fine mm-hmm. but then anomaly didn't do it so suddenly you ain't you, that they average out your box office earnings, yeah, and you're not bankable. And I wasn't bankable anymore, right? So, what did you do then? How did you change it up to you know carry on making films? What did you well, do? Jason and I just started producing a bunch of stuff, so we produced a bunch of stuff in that time. You know, we did like the Scottish legacy, muscle, the Scottish yeah. muscles, and yeah, yeah. You know, he had done Hooligan Factory, we've done mm-hmm. um, a few other things, we started looking at TV and this, that, and the other, and then I had had. I was still acting, obviously. I was I did Chasing Shadows, did The Level. Mm-hmm. You know, there's a couple of things. And then I was just like, I had kids. Like I had the, the oldest was 
whatever age he was and the middle one was whatever age he was and I was just started thinking about how I saw things differently in my life and then I started thinking about well if I see things differently how would how does Sam see things and then I thought maybe I'll do another film didn't want to call it fatherhood because I just thought that was a hokey title Mm-hmm. So I just thought I'll call it brotherhood, but it was really, it was about where I am in my life. Mm-hmm. Like what is, what is a guy, Sam, who committed manslaughter, served six years in jail, came out, the other film was set on one day, had that one day in adulthood. And then 10 years after that, what does he do? Mm. What does he do? And that, that's kind of where the thought process came from. And so I started mm. writing that. Right. And did it just flow out as well? Were you, cause like say, you were always writing, but maybe you were concentrating on the acting and producing and were doing less writing at the time. I don't know. Yeah. I feel that you might have been. And then with Brotherhood, was it like, was it a relief to get back to some writing and some characters you knew and loved? It's cathartic. It's like, you know, it was one of those things was like, otherwise I might have gone mad. Do you know what I mean? Like just, mm. just writing it and just getting those characters back and, you know, and then the interesting thing about that is <laughs> when it was written, Full circle. Nobody wanted to make it. Wow. I thought, uh, wow, I I actually thought that, okay, again, (laughs) seriously. Yeah. Nobody wanted to do it, mate. What did you, again, did you, you'd written it, you were ready, you said, I'm directing. Yeah, yeah, And you just, again, went back to Pathé and back to whoever and they just all kind of said. Yeah, well, Pathé, I don't blame Pathé. They were like, we don't do those kind of films anymore. Like the last one we did was yours and like, we don't, you know, we're, we're trying to win our Oscars. 12 Years a Slave, Mandela. And you like, you can win an Oscar for Brotherhood. <laughs> well, I didn't, yeah, yeah. I never thought that, but. Sure, sure. sure. You know, um, to say nobody would be a lie because obviously Lionsgate did do it, but mm. but they were they were literally the only ones. They came in, you know, we kind of got someone else there, but they were lowballing us for every territory in the world. And we had to scrape it. And then Lionsgate were like, we'll give you more than they're giving you for the UK only. And we're like, well, we've got to do that. And Lionsgate believed in it. But even Lionsgate were like, look, adulthood came out in 2008. Yes, Facebook wasn't Facebook wasn't a big thing. Twitter wasn't mm-hmm. a big thing. Into like Netflix wasn't there. You have to understand that the 3.4 you made for, for um, adulthood is not really feasible now for this type of film because the audience is so distracted. And so, so basically we're going to take this on because all we need to do is get above them above a million and we'll unlock everything we need to unlock. So we'll be fine. Mm -hmm. So the film was made for like 1.2 and interestingly that producer, that young producer from kiddohood, the the dickhead, Mm -hmm. he basically because he still owned the rights. Because when you when you do something, you option the rights. So of course he, you do. Yeah, you put the so rights across. That's what from one point two, we had to pay him one hundred and fifty grand. Wow. He held us to ransom, basically. Wow. He basically was like, "You can't have it. You're not doing anything unless I get this money." His, his lawyer to this day can't. If he if he knows I'm going to an event, the lawyer will not turn up because he knows our. Mm. Do you know what I mean? You don't mm. need to edit that either. You can bleep it, but you don't need to edit it. Mm-hmm. Um, and he and they took that so basically it was made for one million and fifty grand um, and it came out and it did 3.9 it did it made a lot of money 3.9 and even Lionsgate were like yeah do you know what I mean <laughs> yeah. and, and, they, and they and they backed it you know Z- yeah. Ziggy and Nick are, you know I love Ziggy mm. Z- they, they backed it and even mm. they were like thinking you know alright at a push we'll get to two but 
don't be upset. You know, two is the equivalent of four back then, so we'll be happy. Yeah. And it made 3.9, which I guess in their mind is the equivalent of seven, mm. you know, back then. How did you know? it feel for you then? Because obviously it's Vindication, been a while. man. Vindication. Yeah. Yeah. Vindication. Like people doubting again and, and, you know, the audience won't come back. They've grown up. I was like, that's the point. Sam's grown up. The audience exactly. has grown up. They will come yeah. back. No, they won't. You know, we've been doing this. disappeared. Yeah. We, we, know, we know what we're man. doing. They won't come back, you know. And those films cannot be touched. The only film in that genre that's made more is Blue Story. Like, mm-hmm. Those yeah. films can't be touched. Do, do you know what I mean? So that's an amazing legacy to have a trilogy like that. You yeah. know, in in the world you were living in, grew up, and to to have that success they had, and for you to be, you know, it's your creation. So you yeah. is honestly, it's incredibly amazing, and I'm very proud of you for doing that because it is really, really cool, mate. It Thank really you, is. Mate. But it, but it, but it, it made me bankable again. There you go. Right. Mm. Suddenly now you're bankable. Yeah. Not that I was doing films because that's what the time when we started just really ramping up on the bulletproof thing. But even that, even the fact that the film was so successful showed people or Sky in particular when they're going for it that, well, he, this guy's got an audience. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that did that push bulletproof over the edge? hundred percent. Yeah. That obviously led to bulletproof and bulletproof has led to, has led to more, you know, right. and I think it's because now, I think there's a, there's, there's a begrudging respect from some people. It's like, well, fuck, you know, we tried to get rid of him. He's 20 years. He's still here. So <laughs> yeah, know, maybe he's worth a damn. Do you know what I mean? Mm. You know, yeah. you know, bulletproof has led to viewpoint. And I think viewpoint will change people's opinions for sure. Yeah. Because that's very different. Yeah. It's, it's, it's an incredible achievement what you've done. It really is. You know, um, and even, you know, Fisherman's Friends recently is a great film that people can yeah. see you in. Yeah, yeah. You know what I mean? Uh, and There's a lot of madness around that. I enjoyed doing that film. I enjoyed. Yeah. I really enjoyed the, the, doing the film. To be honest, really, that's great. Yeah, no, I did. Yeah. Yeah. People think, made a lot of people money think well. I yeah it made loads of money. People yeah. think I don't because of what happened after, but that's not true. I I, I enjoyed the film immensely. I love Chris Foggin who directed it. Like mm. you know, we 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 speak. I, I you know, I, I love the people involved in that and that film. It's just you know unfortunate that it went the way it went. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, look, we've given so much advice for filmmakers. And is there anything else you could I just say, don't, don't, just don't be disheartened, man, because like you, you, you have to forge your own path. You have to, you can't be disheartened because most people are out to help themselves. So you kind of just mm-hmm. have to get on with what you're doing, you know. And if you're from a certain class or you're from a certain race, you know, write, maybe, you know, write your experience as well. Write your experience, you know, fresh take. I had someone talk to me the other day. Like, where's all the Filipino people in 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 uh, in your hood films? I was like, what? Well, I said, there's a character in adulthood, but I said, but like, I want to know your experience. I you, I want to know the second generation, the second generation Filipino experience in London. You know, like, write your thing, write your thing. Do you know what I mean? Where's you guys? Do you know what I mean? So I'm like letting people to because they're not gonna people aren't gonna give you anything. Like the very definition of my films over the however many years is British and independent, but yeah, I ain't been up for one biffer for the whole 20 years. So my point is, is like people just need to, you need to block everything out and forge your own path. You need to really just keep working as hard as you can because work breeds work. And that, that is, that's all I can say really. Amazing. Uh, Noel Clark, thank you so much. This has been incredible. What a journey. Uh, You are an inspiration. This is fantastic. Uh, Ian, thank you for joining us. Uh, Where can people follow you on the socials? Ian Sharp, baby. Ian Sharp. Yeah, mate. Again, 
you, this is an episode, guys. You need to listen to it again and again and again. <laughs> really mind for, for that info. But yeah, you can follow me on all the socials, mate: Instagram, Twitter, etc. And yeah. that's at Ian Sharp. Yeah, yeah. mate, that's it. Or Sharp House Productions. You can follow us at Filmmakers Pod. Or you can follow me, Giles Alderson, at Giles Alderson. Remember, you can go out there and make your indie film. You can rise up just as Noel has done. And if you're lucky enough to get to the top, you do have to send that elevator back down. Thank you very much for listening. Join us again next Tuesday because we are in the new year now when this is coming out. It is 2021. Have an amazing year, everyone. Do stay in touch. If you want to be on the show or you know someone who will be on the show, uh, then write to us at thefilmmakerspodcast at gmail.com. And we will see you next Tuesday, as always. Noel, thank you very much, buddy. Take care, thank mate. Thank you so much, man. Have a great Cheers, year, Ian. Cheers, Take guys. Happy New thank year. You. Cheers, everyone. Thank bye. You. bye, bye, bye.